I don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus and coming to Jesus or uh, you've come to Jesus and you know Jesus or you know your first time in church or whatever, uh, but I found something to be true in my own personal life and that is the closer I try to draw to God, uh, the more that it seems that it becomes difficult to draw close to God. And I would, I would say, uh, and uh, maybe some of you would go, well, that's kind of weird, and what does that look like? I would say, personally, that, that the, the more effort I make to draw close to God, uh, the closer it seems like Satan tries to get to me. Like, Satan leaves me alone as long as I'm not really making any effort in my relationship with God. But as soon as I start to really put forth the effort, then, then you know, difficult, hurtful, painful things start to happen. I start to have struggles that I never knew were struggles before. I never thought would come up because it seems like when I try to draw close to God, Satan tries to grow close to me and that's no fun at all. Um, and sometimes, and I know this too, when I make great effort for Jesus, it seems like the devil is right there trying to do something different, you know? And maybe if you've ever tried to do anything for Jesus, you know, if you've ever tried to do something nice just in the name of Jesus, then it seems like there will be these hiccups and these, these struggles and things will happen and money will go away and you're like, what did I do? Why is this happening to me? And, um, and I think the way that maybe, maybe you see it, I'm not sure, but kind of the simplest way, I think, is that uh, for a lot of people who are, are Christians or, or even people who aren't Christians, they just think they should pray. Have you ever felt that? Like, I should pray? Uh, and praying is a pretty simple thing to do. I mean, on the, the most, you know, basic level, like you just kind of talk. And that's it. I mean, I mean, you just talk, and, and you're aiming that talk at God. But it's really, on a, on a physical level, it, it's no more difficult than having a conversation with your spouse or your friend or your brother or your sister or whoever you have conversations with. It's, it's on a physical level actually no more difficult than that. Hey, you know? But, but if you've tried it all, if you've tried to pray, if you've tried to make that a normal part of your life, haven't you found that it, it for some reason, some illogical, and I'm going to say a, a spiritual reason, it's like a really difficult thing to do? I mean, the fastest and easiest way to fall asleep if, you need to, if you're having trouble sleeping is to start to pray. Wham, you're gone. You wake up the next morning thinking, man, I remember starting to pray. You know that feeling? Or the fastest way to get your cell phone to go off. If you just feel lonely, just go to a room and say, I'm going to pray. Your cell phone will start ringing and things will start happening. And it seems just on this kind of basic level that when we make this, this very small effort to do something for God to pray, to do something that we value and see as important, uh, even if you're not a Christian, I think you see it as important, uh, that Satan, whether you, you call Satan your cell phone or your sleep, I don't know, but, but something works against that. Something makes that hard to do. Like, think about it, you know, with the Bible, and people always say, I should read the Bible more in Christian circles, and we know that. But, you know, when people, like, pick up, like, uh, another book, uh, oftentimes they don't say like, well, I ought to read this more. They just like reading it. And the Bible is, uh, maybe you don't know this, but the Bible is full of like crazy awesome stories and, and the most profound words that, that the world has ever had written on paper. And yet when we open up that book, uh, we go, ah, it's just so hard to read this one, you know? 
It's like this is a story, literally, there's a story in, in the Bible, the thing that we call the Bible, that changed the world forever. And I know people who love history and love to read about these kind of semi-important events in our history, and they'll tell me about it, and I like history, so I like hearing about it. But, but then there's this story that changed everything, and it's like, well, that's, that's kind of hard for me to read. And so I think that while you may not identify it as Satan, and I usually don't identify it as Satan, I just identify, well, this is kind of getting more difficult than I expected when I'm trying to do things for God. I think that you see that there is some type of force at work when you try to make efforts for God. When you try to accomplish something for God, then, then you find that, that there is some type of force that is at work uh, against you and uh, and I would like to point this out because this is going to be connected to what we say today. I think one of the ways that this, this kind of evil, I'm going to say evil, works against like us reading the Bible and praying and, and our engagement in a, in a church when we come here and you might come with the grandest expectations and say, I'm really going to engage today. I'm really going to pay attention to that sermon. I'm going to sing and, and I'm going to pray. When we have that prayer moment, I'm really going to pray and it goes away. Is, is that sometimes it just feels dry and unimportant. Like it's just you kind of feel bored. You just kind of get bored with it. And I think that that's part of that evil, that, that we just get more bored, just dry. And, and you go, well, I'm really trying to pray, and I'm really trying to get involved in this relationship with God, and I want it to move forward, but, but I just, it's just not working, and I don't feel anything, and it all seems kind of dry and seems kind of boring. I think we have a solution today. I think we're going to see a solution. And then, and then maybe some of you, I'll, I'll just say this, maybe some of you have tried engaging God, but it, it just seems like you never accomplished it. And you show up here this morning, and church is another effort, but during the week you've tried and you wanted to do something for God, and, and here you are again, another week gone, and, and you haven't been able to win kind of this battle for your spiritual life. You always feel like you are losing it. And, and here's what I'm going to hypothesize for you this morning. That one of the things that stands in between the work that Satan wants to do in your life and the work that God wants to do in your life is singing. You probably saw it coming based on the video and everything, but it, I hope it was a little shocking, you know? I mean, uh, because think about You don't think that. I don't think I've ever thought that, but let me repeat it, and, and you can go, wow. Uh, and you don't have to say that. That's just, you know, prideful of me. But, but just think it. Wow. Think wow. Uh, one of the things that stands in between the work that Satan wants to do in your life and, and the work that God wants to do in your life or through your life or in your life or around your life is are singing to God. Now, before we look at this story today, I want to, I want to make clear something uh, that's important when you read the Bible and when you study the Bible. And so this is like just a little, a little free note, but it's important for this type of sermon because my uh, kind of this type of sermon that I'm going to preach today makes me a little uncomfortable uh, personally with my kind of uh, biblical leanings and the way that I teach and things like that. And, uh, and here it is, ready? Uh, there's, there's, Two types of things in the Bible when you read it. One is, is called descriptive. That's how theologians have labeled it. And the other is prescriptive. And so when you read the Bible, there are lots of things that are just describing situations. 
And it's stupid of you, just to be honest, and to go, okay, well, that was described in the Bible, and so therefore I should do it. That should be a part of my life. Let me give you an example. David fought a giant. That doesn't mean that you go, wow, I read that David fought a giant in the Bible. I'm going to go find a giant. Good luck with that. And I'm, I'm going to fight him because they said it in the Bible. Uh, it's dangerous when we, when we kind of take that approach to the descriptions that we read in the Bible. On the other side are, are the things that God has prescribed to us. And that is like love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's just saying this is the way that I want you to do it. And when we read those, it's dangerous to go the opposite way and say, good idea, God, but I'll do my own thing. We should take those and go, absolutely, God, if that's what you want from me, then that's what I'm going to do. Now, today's sermon, I'm going to look at something that is quite descriptive. It's important for you to understand this, and I'm sorry if you're going, I don't care, but it's important anyway. Uh, and, And it's really just a description of what happened. But I think in that description, and when you couple oftentimes the descriptions that you see in the Bible, the stories that you see in the Bible, with the commands, the prescriptive things that you see in the Bible, then it's important to kind of take those descriptors and go, maybe there's something really important in that. And that's what I'm going to try to do as we look at this story today. I think that there's this description And I think we have these other prescriptions. And I think that when we kind of put them together, it makes this very grand suggestion about the value and the importance of our singing. And so here is the beginning of the story in Acts 16. We'll look at 16 through 18 first. Uh, Once, when we, this is Luke and Paul and Silas and a bunch of other guys, um, when we were going to the place of prayer, We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God or who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now Luke is the guy writing this book and he's traveling around with two other guys, Paul and Silas and other men and, and what they're doing is they're traveling to the known world, the Roman world, to tell people the story of Jesus. That, that there was a man named Jesus who was God in human form and he had come to earth and he had died for people's sins and he had risen again and, and you should give your life to him. And so they are traveling all over the known world, Luke, Paul, Silas and other guys, to tell uh, non-Jewish people uh, about what God is doing. And apparently, when we come to our story, uh, they had stopped in a place called Philippi, and they had stayed there for a while. And so they had done some preaching, and they had done some teaching, and they had probably prayed with people, and they were just doing ministry there. And Luke tells us that this girl, and I want you to notice this word, with a spirit comes up behind them. And the spirit was allowing for this girl to be able to tell the future And she was, in fact, making a lot of money for her owners. And we can imagine that, right? I mean, we like that idea of future telling still. And there's a lot of people who get TV shows and stuff. Not a lot. There are some people, I should say, who make a lot of money uh, with TV shows and stuff, saying this is what's going to happen in your future, and I see this for you, and your grandma's talking to you from the past, and she tells you it will be okay. You know, I mean, those types of things. Uh, And Luke says that this girl is one of them, and it's, through this spirit. 
And if you study the book of Luke, which is the other book he wrote, in the book of Acts, you quickly see that Luke connects these types of events to demons. This is what we read in Luke 4, 33 through 35. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with me, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all, and they came out without injuring him. Did you notice that? There was a man possessed by a demon, and then synonymously, an impure spirit. And so when Luke uses the word spirit, and it's kind of in an evil way, he's talking about a demon. This woman has a demon inside of her who is, in fact, helping her tell the future to people, and so therefore, her owners are making a lot of money. Now, if you're reading it in our translation, the NIV, it says, Paul becomes annoyed, and it's this weird verse, because what she's saying on the surface level kind of looks like you know, the things that I say every week, and I don't know, maybe some of you want to go, get out of him, you know, I'm done with this sermon today, I don't know, uh, but, but it's a weird story, because Paul is like, is annoyed, and, and the question that I've always had is like, why is he annoyed when she is proclaiming, these people are here to tell you about the most high God and what you must do to be saved? Kind of what they were there to do, you know? I mean, it was like they had a little uh, person to announce their coming. But here's the deal. Uh, this lady is a Gentile, and she's yelling out to a bunch of Gentiles. That means non-Jew, okay? And, and so the way that, that, that they're hearing what she is saying, although true on some level, it is not accurate at all. For example, let me tell you this. Uh, the term most high God, we think of God, the one we sing to, the one we love, the one we pray to. Uh, but they wouldn't have heard that at all. They had a myriad of, of most high gods. And so they would have just pictured another God that, that is now claiming to be higher. And so when she says most high God, she's not talking about Yahweh, the God that we serve. She's just kind of throwing out this term that would have been very common to them. Again, the word salvation would not have been heard as like becoming a Christian. That's not how uh, the, the Philippian people would have heard that word. The Philippian people would have heard that word as health, or rescue, or goodness, or having, you know, a longer life, or whatever uh, kind of fits, you know, prosperity in some ways. And so when this woman calls out salvation, it, they're thinking like, maybe my sick friend will be healed, or, or maybe, you know, I'll have a better life. They're not hearing like, become a Christian, go to heaven someday, have your sins forgiven. That's not at all uh, what, what they are what she is saying or what they are hearing. And so when Paul's annoyed, that Greek word can actually mean uh, trouble. Paul isn't just like, I'm sick of hearing this girl's voice. Paul is, is recognizing that this woman is now telling the people in Philippi the wrong information about what they're there to do. She's basically saying, these people are here to tell you about a different God that's going to make you happy. Not a God who has stepped out of heaven to save you from your sins. And so Paul turns around, he, he rebukes the spirit, the spirit comes out, and uh, then all of a sudden we read this in Acts 16, 19 through 21. When our owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us to practice or to accept or practice as 
Romans. And so these people, this is, this is beautiful, and we do this with money all the time. Nobody wants to act like they're doing bad things for money. Uh, but these people are doing bad things for money, and so they, they clothe it in the idea that they are protecting the Roman way, that they are fighting against, really, insurrection, that they are fighting against people saying things that is unlawful and, and unwise and unvaluable to the Roman people to say. And Luke, if you look at Luke again and you read his writings, one of the things that Luke likes to show us is that a desire for money is often connected to a false religion or to evil. And so Luke makes that clear here. So these guys are mad. Let's just see it out. They're mad because Paul and Silas have now taken away their income. And it suggests here that they have quite a bit of money from this lady. And so they're angry. And so they show up at the court steps and they're like, hey, you can't go you know, we had this demon woman, and it was really working out for the pocketbook. You know, you can't, that's like, okay, go away, you know. So they, they show up, and they're like, hey, these people are going to cause a riot. They're going to cause a riot. And, and what I want you to see as we kind of go into this next part is the evil is at work. And the Bible makes clear Uh, that when we try to come to God, when we try to grow in God, that our fight in that is really against this evil force, the force that I mentioned earlier, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and sober mind, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And so you see in this story, Paul and Silas notice that, that Luke, I mean, they've been there a long time, but Luke says that their effort in this moment, even though this goes on for days, did you notice that part? It goes on for days, this woman behind them, which would have been very annoying, but their effort is to go to the place of prayer. And I think we need to pay attention to that because what's happening is that they are making an effort to do something for God, and right there behind them is Satan working. And look what the, the work results in, because look, verses 22 through 24, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. They haven't really done anything. And yet Satan, through these men and their desire for money, has, has caused this crowd to now fight against people that they don't even know. The crowd joins in, and the magistrates, fearing a riot, as I mentioned earlier, probably, ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Paul said like five words. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. It's a pretty incredible story. Paul, Silas, Luke, other guys trying to do something good for God. Satan starts to move through this girl. It spreads through her owners and then it goes into the crowd who now is fighting against this very simple act of obedience that these two men, uh, these well, more than two men, but two men will now focus in on the story, uh, that these two guys and their friends are trying to do. And, and it's not like we experience it where our cell phones ring, but I think that the, the spirit, the, the forces, the evil is the same. We want to draw close to God, and Satan doesn't want us to. It's quite 
simple. And now they go from headed, notice this, headed to prayer to being thrown into the inner cell and fastened in the stocks. Um, one author said this about the inner cell, not content with placing the apostles among such other offenders against the law as were in custody in Philippi, he thrust them into the inner prison and then forced their limbs, lacerated as they were, and bleeding from the rod into a painful and constrained posture by means of an instrument employed to confine and torture the bodies of the worst criminals. Though we are ignorant of the exact relation of the outer and inner prisons and of the connection of the jailer's house with both, we are not without very good notions of the misery endured in, in the Roman places of captivity. The inner prisons of which we read in the ancient world were like that of a dungeon in the court of a prison into which Jeremiah was let down with cords and where he sank in the mire. They were cells that were damp and cold from which the light was excluded and where the chains rusted on the limbs of the prisoners. This jail cell very well would have been filled with urine and poop because none of the Roman guards, none of the Roman citizens are going to go in there and clean it. They're just going to let the next guy sit in it because this is where the worst criminals go. And the stocks, we have a picture of these stocks were, were just wood pieces uh, where your feet would go in them. And, and you've kind of seen this with the neck. They didn't have the neck version on, apparently, Paul and Silas. But they would have also been used not just to keep you in place because this guard is apparently really scared he's going to lose them, but they also would have been used to separate your feet so that you could be tortured further. So Paul and Silas, going to pray, are hounded by an evil spirit. And then... People get all mad at them. They've done nothing. And then they're thrown into the inner cell full of poop and dark and rusted, um, rusted chains. And they were publicly beaten and then publicly whipped. And now they're put into this torture machine. I mean, if, if you can't tell that Satan didn't want them doing what they had set out to do, praying and preaching the gospel to people, uh, then you're not really paying attention to the story. Because now they have gone from, from going to the place of prayer where they may have very well been going to preach the gospel, to tell people about Jesus, to locked up in a dark place where nobody can be, where they cannot be heard by anybody else, I should say. That is Satan at work in the most powerful ways. And then we read one of the most beautiful sentences, I think, that the Bible has. Acts 16, 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I'll just read it again because it's so cool. About midnight, after they've been beaten and whipped and thrown into the darkest jail, and they're laying in poop, and they're in the stocks, and they're kind of being tortured in some ways. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. James 4, 7 says this thing. It says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and, and he will flee from you. And we go, great idea. What do I do? Don't we? I mean, if I said, hey, here's what you, here's what you need to do. Just resist the devil and he'll go away. You know, like get some garlic. I mean, what do I, how, what does that look like? I mean, what does that look like? And I think here in this passage, Paul and Silas, in the midst of this battle against Satan and his demons, against evil forces, show us one way that we can resist the power of the devil. They simply start to sing. 
In Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, the two passages which we talked about last week where, where we said part of our singing is done in church settings so that the people around us can hear and be encouraged and inspired and lifted up and informed and, and all of these awesome things that, that are required for building our spiritual lives. Right before those passages that say, sing, make melody from your hearts, are passages that say, fight against what Satan wants to do in your life. Fight against your flesh. Live for God. Sing. Second Chronicles 5, 13 and 14 tells this incredible story. And, um, excuse me, no, 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 sorry. Uh, 2 Chronicles 21 through 25 tells this incredible story. And it's this story where, where these evil nations are, 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 want to fight against the, the godly nation, the Jewish people, the Israelite nation. And 2 Chronicles 21, here's the beginning of it. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. I would like to point out that Jehoshaphat was one of the good kings in Israel's history. There was a lot of bad ones. If you want to read about Israel's kings, it's like good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad for a really long time. That's how they did it. Uh, and Jehoshaphat's one of the good ones. And yet, there are these evil nations who are coming against God's people. There are these evil forces who wanted to destroy them. And so you can read the rest of the story. In fact, I would encourage, go home and read the rest of the story. But what you basically see uh, between there and verses 21 and 22 is that they pray and then they remember what God has done for them and then they plead to God for help and then God gives them the promise of victory and then they respond to God in song. And then in 2 Chronicles 2, 21 and 22, 21, 21 and 22, it says this. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. As they begin to sing and praise, the Lord sets ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Jehoshaphat is like, okay, God's promised victory. We need some guys on the front line to go fight this battle. Singers, here we go. I'm like, I can't sing, man. You're like, I'm making something up. I don't know, but, but this is his plan. Like, look, God is going to give us this victory over the evil forces. Here's our plan. You guys go sing. And notice that they sing, blessed be the Lord. And God ambushes these people who are fighting against them, who want to fight against them, the evil forces that want to destroy them. It's incredible. It's an incredible story. And uh, in 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14, going back, uh, we read the trumpeters and the musicians joined in, in unison in to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanying by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. The singers raised their voices in praise of the Lord and saying, He is good, His love endures forever. And then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. You see, what we seem to see is that in some ways the movement of God, especially the movement of God against the evil forces that want to, com to, to compete with our desire to live for God, is in response to our singing to God. We sing 
And perhaps God moves. In Acts 4, 24 and 25, uh, and, and if you were to read that story, it's a great story too. Peter and John have just been arrested for teaching the people about Jesus. You see the work of Satan, and they're released, and they're, they, they say, hey, don't tell anybody else about Jesus. And, and Peter and John get back to the church, and, and then this is what we, we read. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God, excuse me, together in prayer to God, which a lot of people think is, is a mention of singing. Raise your voices together. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The descriptive language of the Bible suggests that singing moves God. And it moves God in a way that fights against what Satan would do to prevent us from living for God. And here's what we read in our Acts story. 16, 26 through 28, suddenly, suddenly, they sing, people listening, then suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison door open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. God moves. There's an earthquake. The foundation of the prisons were shaken. The doors flew open. The chains came off. The prisoners don't leave. That has to be an act of God. That's why the jailer was going to kill himself. God moves. And it seems that God moves in response to the singing. And Paul and Silas, the way that they resisted the devil was to sing. I want to tell you just this, and I don't know if it's important or valuable, but I think it is. If you look at some of the great men and women in the history of Christianity, and you read their writings and what they valued, you're going to find over and over and over again that the way that they fought against Satan working against them was that they sang. Francis Quarles, who was a poet, says this about Paul and Silas's moment. Paul's midnight voice prevailed. His music's thunder unhinged the prison doors, split bolts and sunder, and sittest thou here and hangest the feeble wing, and when it's to be enlarged, soul, learn to sing. Mary Slessor, who was a, a Scottish missionary to Nigeria, and her work basically you know, led people to Jesus and, and helped Christianity spread, um, but it also helped move forward women's rights and children's rights. And she's actually credited with stopping the killing of twins in one tribe in Nigeria. So that's pretty important work. Here's what she said. She said, I sing the doxology and dismiss the devil. That's her great plan. As Satan fought against her work to move children's rights forward, to, to spread the gospel, she said, I sing the doxology and dismiss the devil. Amy Carmichael, uh, who was a Protestant Christian missionary in India and who opened an orphanage and founded a mission. Uh, she served in India for 55 years without ever coming home once, and she wrote a ton of books. Here's what she had to say. I believe truly that Satan cannot endure it and so slips out of the room more or less when there's a true song sung. Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation. He changed church history more than perhaps any other person not named Jesus said this. Music is a fair and lovely gift of God, which has often wakened and moved me to the joy of preaching. 
Music drives away the devil and makes people gay. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. I would not change what little I know of music for something great. Experience proves that next to the word of God, only music deserves to be extolled as the mistress and governess of the feelings of the human heart. We know that to the devil, music is distasteful and insufferable. My heart bubbles up and overflows in response to music, which has so often refreshed me and delivered me from dire plagues. Charles Spurgeon, who was a, a British preacher, he's known as the Prince of Preachers. He, he preached to 10 million people, it's estimated, before there was microphones. Uh, that's pretty incredible uh, to get that done in you know one just lifetime. He said, sing to make Satan angry. He has vexed the saints, let us vex him. And then John Piper, who I've quoted a lot in this series because he said so many good things about music in his preaching, said this, It is no wonder that Satan hates the song of God's people. He does his best to keep a church from being a singing church, and he does his best to keep you from being a singing person. See, what the Bible describes and what church history has shown us is that what stands between the work of Satan and the work of God is sometimes our voices being lifted up in melody. It is sometimes our singing from our hearts to God. And when we sing, in some ways, we do warfare. And sometimes when we say warfare in church and we think about battles in church, it's like we picture the other people out there, you know, like the ones who disagree with us. But that's not what the Bible shows us. The Bible shows us that we fight against these evil forces that we cannot see. You see, and I've tried to tell the band this, and, and I think that, that maybe they're getting it, um, and they're starting to see the importance of what they do. When they, when they come up here, they aren't just leading you in song, they're leading you into battle. They're leading you into a fight against Satan, a, a fight really for your soul and whether it will live for God and move forward in God and be closer to God. In some ways, they're leading us into song so that, that when we are here, Satan is vexed. And Satan just quietly goes out into the street and leaves us alone while we celebrate and worship the God who has died for us and saved us. See, what the Bible describes and what church history describes is that when we sing, Satan doesn't like it very much, and God does, and so he moves, and we win. You see, in this story, as you continue in verses 29 through 32, you'll see that the very thing that they set out to do, Paul and Silas, that was blocked by the devil, he made the first kind of chess move and he blocked it. It's the very thing that God ends up doing through this situation that they are put in. Acts 16, 29 through 32, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, check this out, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. The jailer recognizes the movement of God in such a powerful and strong way that he's like, what do I got to do to be saved? What do I got to do to be forgiven of my sins? These things that they were probably singing about, what do I got to do to be forgiven of my sins and look forward to new life and this eternity in this place that you call heaven? And they say, believe in Jesus, give your life to Jesus. And the jailer does and his household does. Satan tried to block their prayer and their preaching. They sing, God moves, they preach, people are saved. You see, one of the things that I think we don't get and we don't do is the singing thing. 
We come here, we kind of go through the motions, we sing our songs because there's lyrics on the screen. But wouldn't it change it when we show up here? Wouldn't you be changed in some ways if, if when we, we, we started the singing thing and the band started playing and you started singing? If you're like, this is me doing all I can do maybe to resist what Satan wants to do in my life? I mean, what if God does in your life this week to block Satan and to do cool work? What if it's dependent on whether you actually be obedient to what we've already seen in this series, singing from your heart, singing with all your being to God? Doesn't that change your perception of what we do when we sing? And I'll tell you this, what if what, if what is missing from your devotional time, which, which our world and Christians and the church is made just like, hey, read the Bible for a little bit, pray a little bit. What if the very thing that is missing is you opening your mouth in song? What if the very thing that is missing is you saying, God, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to sing and I'm sorry it doesn't sound good or whatever, but I need to fight against Satan and the dryness and, and really just the distractions and, and the lack of emotion that I have. I need to fight against it and so I'll sing. And I'll tell you, just the last couple years of my life has been a real battle with Satan, and I brought that up a couple of sermon series ago. I mean, Satan attacked me in the weirdest way, and, uh, and it made getting into prayer and the Bible very difficult because I was scared he was going to fight against me again, and I didn't really want it. And, and that has been replaced in a new way in the last month um, where Satan has worked against me in a different way, where he's just trying to get me to be busy and do things, and I can tell that it, I, he's moving. And he fights against me praying, and he fights against me reading the Bible. But there is nothing more that Satan fights against than me singing to Jesus. The most difficult thing for me to do every single week, bar none, the most difficult thing for me to do is to get on my knees and sing a song to God. I like doing it. That's the weird part. I enjoy doing it. Every time I do it, I feel closer to God afterwards. But it is the thing that is most difficult for me to do. And, and, and it's even to this point, I'll be honest with you, because this is a practice that I've tried to make a part of my devotional time. Uh, it's like where I go, if I sing, then Satan's going to fight against me, and I'm going to have to deal with thoughts and struggles and pain and hurt and sadness and so maybe I just won't do it today you see I can look at this descriptors these descriptors in the bible and in church history uh, but I know it personally to be honest with you when I sing it changes things yesterday I had a moment with God I haven't been very happy with God lately I've been frustrated with God and it's really made my prayer times like, God, yeah, I'm supposed to do this, help people, you know. If, like, this is not what I want to be doing, but sure, we're going to kind of do it because I'm a pastor and I got to do it, you know. And last night, trying to talk to God, I'm telling God, look, I'm a little upset with you and the way you've been treating me lately. And, and what hit me, what changed it all, what changed it from a moment of just I'm frustrated with you to a moment where I was engaged with God is I thought, you got to sing. And I opened my mouth to sing, and it was like God had been let back into my life. When you come here on a Sunday, and you, if you really want to get something out of this, then show up and say, I'm going to sing to fight against what Satan would do today. 
And if you really want to have God work through your life, then I think, and it's descriptive again, but I think when you couple it all together with the rest of the word and church history, if you really want God to use you, you need to be a person who makes singing a part of what you do when you interact with God. And you might need to find a place if you're embarrassed to sing in front of others where nobody can hear you. You may need to go out to the river is a great place in Wilsonville and just get out and you know, then your kids or your family, your wife, your friends, your roommates, they don't have to hear you. But I think if you really want to accomplish something great for God, then you must fight back against Satan and, and, and you must fight through song. Steve Guthrie, who is a, a teacher, he said, music is one way in which the Holy Spirit brings the life of sense and embodied experience from darkness into light. In songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, the world of bodily experience is enlisted in praise, redefined doxologically, and reoriented toward the worship of God and the benefit of the community. The senses are not held down, but by the Spirit of God lifted to God in song. William Law, in a, in, a, in a classic book called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life, has a chapter that encourages us to chant and sing songs in our private devotion. He says, just as singing in a natural effect is a natural effect of joy in the heart, so it is also has a natural power of rendering the heart joyful. There is nothing that so clears away for your prayers, nothing that so disperses dullness of heart, nothing that so purifies the soul from poor and little passions, nothing that so opens heaven or carries your heart so near it as these songs of praise. And so what I offer today, just in the simplest statement, is first, Satan wants to fight against you, he will. The reason that you have trouble praying and reading the Bible and feeling close to God and and doing things for God is because there is an evil force that wants to fight against that. Resist Satan through song. Resist Satan through song. Sing when we're here together. Sing when you're alone. Sing in your private time. But resist Satan through song. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just ask that we would be a church that sings. And we, we talk a lot about prayer and we talk about your word and those things are, are of equal importance, I believe, God. That's why we do all of these things when we gather together. But, Lord, I pray that we would be a church who resists the work of Satan through song. I pray that we would be a church that sings in such a way from our hearts, making melody from the deepest places of our soul, Lord, that, that causes you to move that causes you to do something incredible, Lord. I want to be a church that sings in such a way, God, that, that, that you just you want to show up here so powerfully that, that when people show up here for the first time, God, or, or when non-Christians show up here for maybe the millionth time, they go, oh, wow, God is real. Lord, I pray that we, and we, I think we've done this as a church, and I've said that in this series, we have taken music, and because we are a church driven by the Bible, because of our denomination, Lord, we, we have been a church in some ways that has made music kind of this thing that we do to set up for the sermon. And Lord, maybe in some way we are right in that, but let us not treat it as a, a pre-act to our worship. Let it treat us as, as a moment, as, a, as an act where we are dismissing Satan. Lord, and as we pour out our, our hearts, to you, 
In song, I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would move Satan out of this place and that you would draw people into a deeper, more passionate relationship with you, God, and that you would bring people into a relationship with you and that you would, God, just convict and, and encourage and inspire and move us forward in you, Lord. Lord, I pray for this band who's behind me. They're about to lead us in two songs. I pray, Lord, that when they get up here each week, they would remember that they are taking us into battle. And I pray, Lord, that we would remember the same as we sing sitting before them and, and we would not sing just because words are on the screen or because the band is playing, but we would sing knowing that when we move, God, you may move. And Lord, while this is descriptive, perhaps... I, I, I pray that we would take our shot. We don't know many ways to take a stand against Satan. We don't know many ways to do that. We pray, we study your word, but I think you've made singing a part of that. And so, Lord, whether people go, I agree or I disagree with what he just said, I pray that they would at least take their shot. There's nothing that it can hurt, Lord. Make us a church, make us a people, God. Make us individuals that sing to resist Satan. I love you, Lord, and I pray these things in your name. Amen.